Welcome to Around Downtown. I'm Communications Director Matt Thomas, and recently there was a luncheon, a crew luncheon, commercial real estate women, with a panel discussion that we wanted to bring you because it was quite interesting. Well, I am delighted to be here on a beautiful sunny day, finally, in the Arts District. Um, panelists, if you can kind of come on up, please. Uh, I truly am honored uh, to be moderating this panel of really powerful women leaders in the Arts District. It's uh, very exciting, uh, all the work that's being done here and all the work that their companies are doing. Uh, my job as moderator is actually to make you forget that I'm here. And if it goes badly, I really are going to want you to forget that I'm here. But I don't think it's going to go badly because the most important thing is for you all to focus on the amazing work that all of these ladies uh, are doing in the Arts District. So we're going to get started by actually having them introduce themselves. So y'all will, number one, introduce yourself. Number two, uh, for those who may not be as familiar with the Arts District, kind of identify which building you relate to in the Arts District and your role there. And number three, let us know what's your favorite thing to do in the Arts District. So we're gonna start just for fun. If y'all like looked out this window and went all the way down Flora Street, we're gonna start with the building furthest away. And Lucy Burns, if you could introduce yourself first. Hi, my name is, is this, yeah. Hi, uh, my name is Lucy Burns. Work with Billingsley Company. Um, I run our office portfolio, um, and our one urban location in Dallas is the One Arts Plaza. Um, the whole site is about ten acres, um, so we've got about six left for development. Uh, favorite thing to do in the Arts District. One of my favorite things to do is actually go to the Architecture Forum lectures that uh, happen at the DMA most times. Oh, that's great. That's fun. Okay, so we're gonna go down the street now to. Hall Arts. So, uh, Kim. Thank you. I'm Kim Butler with Hall Group. I'm Director of Leasing. And um, in addition to our Arts District, we have Hall Park in Frisco, 17 buildings. But we're so proud of um, what Craig Hall has done in the Arts District. Uh, our development consists of an 18-story office building, KPMG Plaza, at Hall Arts with three restaurants. Uh, we have 250 million under construction with a hotel, 183 room hotel, and up to 50 uh, high-rise luxury homes. So we have a lot invested in the Arts District. We're continuing to invest in the Arts District because we believe in it. And uh, my favorite thing to do in the Arts District is to stroll at night. If you haven't done that, the twinkly lights are beautiful. It's, it's really magical. Great. Thank you, thank you. So now we'll get to this building and Sarah Terry. Hi, I'm Sarah Terry. Um, I am a Senior Vice President of Leasing at uh, Stream Realty. Uh, we actually office here in this building in the Arts District and uh, as you know, we're undergoing a major renovation. Um, so my favorite thing to do in the Arts District is um, actually, uh, I think one of the best kept secrets is the Nasher Cafe. Um, I'm over there two, three times a week for lunch. Um, it's just a great venue and I can go there for a business lunch or I can go by myself and take my laptop and get a little quiet time in the, um, in the outdoor area. Wonderful. Glad you're here. And then finally, the person who belongs to all the buildings and all the stakeholders in the Arts District is Lily Weiss. Lily. Hi, everyone. I'm Lily Weiss, and uh, I was just telling Vicki, I'm probably the longest standing of my board and our stakeholders right now in the Arts District because my first career, and really an impactful one, was uh, Paul Baker hired me at, in the dance department at Booker T. Washington 
Oh, wow. In 1978. So prior to everything, and really at the time when the visionaries were looking at this area, the northeast corner of downtown, um, I've seen it thrown up. The most exciting thing is for me to now transfer to the full district, which I'm thrilled to be there and here. And uh, I've, I've been almost, I'll experience my three-year anniversary as executive director of the Arts District. My very favorite thing to do is uh, dinner and a show. If, if I'm, dance is my background, but I love going to events not just in the district, but of course in the district and outside of the district. But soon to have, have a state. Real quick, oh. you, I think your microphone's off. You? Oh, did I? Thumb switch up. Up. up your hot, down Got your it. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Could you hear me before? Yes. yes. Okay, that's my yes. studio voice. <laughs> All right, I just wanted to make sure. So um, anyway, uh, dinner and a show, but soon to be able to do a staycation at our first hotel in the Arts District. And then I agree with uh, Kim, strolling in the district, especially on this beautiful sunny day or at night, is quite, quite beautiful. And I will tell you, I have the best job because I have the most, I work with the most creative thinkers, I think, on earth. So thank you. So glad you're here, Lily. So we have a fabulous panel, y'all so I'm going to start my first question with you, Lily. So what is it that makes the Dallas Arts District so special on a national and global stage? Well, I have notes because I have data for you. And I'm really not a data person, but Doug Pree will be so proud of me. <laughs> um, and I didn't ask him for it, so that was the best part. Uh, but what I want you to know that on an international level, on a global stage, uh, Dallas Arts District has been one of the charter members of the Global Cultural Districts Network. In fact, uh, Dallas Arts District hosted that conference in 2014. And there are more members with cultural districts across the world that actually convene at least once or twice a year. And we discuss best practices, but more importantly, Dallas Arts District is in the middle of a lot of the research on international uh, cultural districts. And we were most recently a part of the governance research done across the world of arts districts. And then most recently, just hasn't even come out yet, but uh, that uh, article will come out in terms of the research on social impact of cultural districts in, in, in the world. On top of that, there are districts that used Dallas Arts District as a model. One of them specifically will open this year, and it's in Kowloon, Hong Kong. And uh, the one thing that they have over us is their park is on the water. But everything else they modeled, it is a contiguous arts district. They put it all in at once, ours came in, over years, but I'm happy to say that they, after going around the world, they chose the Dallas Arts District to model their arts district on. That's great, and I'm sorry we don't have water. We have we have some water, but yeah. not the kind. Of <laughs> um, Lucy, so the the site where One Art sits was actually purchased more than 40 years ago by the Billingsley Company. 
So the first building wasn't built until 2007. So what were, what factors impacted Billingsley Company's decision to build One Arts and start the uh, development there? So when we broke ground on One Arts, it was um, in 2005. So we completed okay. we completed it in 2007. And it was the first building built or high-rise built in downtown in 18 years. So, um, you know, all of that was really largely driven by just the market and where growth was happening in the office market and it wasn't downtown um, at that time. Um, when we broke ground on the building, we had 7-Eleven had already signed a lease with us to take over half the building. So um, that allowed us to kind of get the project kicked off. And, um, and then Thompson Knight, very soon thereafter, signed a lease. and. We were essentially, you know, 95% lease at that point. So um, that's what allowed us to kick it off. One thing that I'd add um, to Lily's comments is that um, I don't know if this is true still or, or not, but three years ago, anyway, before Kowloon and other areas were sort of doing these things, this area was um, had more Pritzker Prize-winning architects in uh, in, a, in such a small area than any other place in the world. So um, it is a really I don't know that how many people really know that and appreciate what they're looking at when they look out the window. And certainly from the office side, and I'm sure it will be the same on the residential side, um, you know, all of those institutions are low buildings, so your views from an office perspective are preserved. No one's ever going to build in front of you and block them. Um, and they really are jewels. I mean, they're, they're stunning buildings, and we're lucky to have them. That's great. Thank you. Just out of curiosity, any tenants here from One Arts Plaza? Nobody here? Okay. Good, you're safe if you have any questions. <laughs> Sarah, so I think now all y'all notice the Trammell Crow Center is under renovation. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about how this project came together and some of the driving factors for such a significant investment in this building. Yeah, so um, I actually moved here from Atlanta five years ago. And uh, when I moved here, I joined the team at Trammell Crow Center to lease the project. Um, JP Morgan owns it. Um, and I was as you can imagine, out of towner, I was so excited to be able to work on such a, a beloved building in the Dallas community. Um, and I heard repeatedly from brokers who have been in the business for 20 plus years, you know, it's my favorite building in Dallas. It's my favorite building. I love that building. Don't ever touch it. Don't ever do anything to it. Um, and so we, uh, you know, at the same time that we're hearing that, the mixed message was, mm, my tenant doesn't want to go all the way downtown. They want to be in uptown. It's across the park. It's a block away. Like, just come on over. Um, but there was really, you know, there was this kind of um, disconnect between brokers and tenant demand for um, uptown or new construction, where they just kind of didn't really think of Trammell Crow Center in that in the same light. And we were being categorized as a true downtown building, although our rate was a good, you know, almost double what Main Street rents were. So we were really kind of finding ourselves in this in-between place and. Um, really struggling to see which list we should really be on. And, um, you know, I think one of the driving factors that we heard repeatedly as a reason why uh, the building wasn't being considered with uptown um, buildings or new construction is the parking. Um, so we were built at one per thousand parking, which at the time in the 80s was very typical for downtown, and we were surrounded by surface parking lots. Um, but today, you know, New construction is building at a two and a half to three per thousand ratio, and we just couldn't offer that. And um, some of the sites near us were being gobbled up and developed, and that surface parking was going away. Um, so the first thing we that we did is we identified that there was an opportunity to build the. Uh, I'm sorry, to purchase the lot directly across the street from the building. Um, it was about 350 surface parking spaces, um, and we said. Oh, 
we've got a solution across the street, we can buy this, we can build parking, and suddenly we're uptown. Um, but what we realized as we sort of get into the development of that site is it would really be a shame to only build parking um, when there are so many other things that we felt that the neighborhood could really use and really wanted. Um, so it really became this whole development process for uh, a mixed-use development that would really complement the office building. So we really never considered office for the site across the street. Um, we thought, what are the things that are going to help us lease the million-square-foot building that we're in charge of? And um, restaurants, walkable amenities, that was uh, probably the second biggest, biggest um, uh, challenge that we heard from brokers. And so we said that we could do some, some, ad some additional retail to bring opportunities for restaurants to come into the area. And then um, we're selling off the site, uh, the air rights for the site, um, for a hotel that'll be about 200 keys and then a 400-unit multifamily development. At the same time that we're doing that, we also held a design competition for the office building to renovate it. So we invited 19 firms, both locally, internationally, um, and it included the original architect, Rick Keating, and um, they presented their qualifications. We selected six firms who entered a design competition, and of the six firms, we ultimately chose um, our, our partner and the architect, um, HOK. So they are in charge of the repositioning of this asset, and um, the thing that we really were looking for for that architect was that they would understand and appreciate the original character and design of the building and really do it justice in the way that they repositioned it and bringing the right amenities and the right look and feel to a more modern era. Thank you. That's great. Well, we can't wait till it's done. And the restaurants are being great across the street. That's <laughs> great. Um, Kim. So Paul actually invested in the Arts District in the mid-90s, acquiring the underground parking garage of an abandoned office building. So how many in the audience know what the nickname was of the abandoned office building? Anybody? So it was called Stonehenge. So for those y'all who don't think that Dallas has a lot of culture, uh, it was called Stonehenge because it stayed that way for a really long time. Um, so what made you finally pull the trigger to develop the Hall Arts office building and why develop a hotel? Well, uh, Stonehenge has quite a history with it, and for those of you who don't know, the seven levels of underground parking were built, as well as the structure that started to be built. And this was back in the 80s. MetLife, Met Structures out of Chicago, had started the construction, and then the big crash of the 80s occurred. And at the time, think of this, this is mid-80s, they had $40 million in the development, uh, which if you put that forward, how much that would be, they basically cut their losses and looked to um, get out of the um, market. And Craig Hall, being the opportunistic uh, entrepreneur that he is, uh, purchased the garage with the land. And that was back in 95, thinking that the Arts District maturation was right around the corner. And it only took about 15 years between the DMA and the Wiley and um, the Windspear. That's because they were getting it right all along the way. Um, and when the first tenants moved into the office building, he had owned the property 20 years. So uh, it took a while to, to get there. But, um, you know, what the Arts District needs is more people. And we have the beautiful buildings, the great activities, and Clyde Warren has help with that as well as the programming that Lily and her team is doing but being able to bring more of a 24-7 operation to the Arts District is something that 
we're clearly excited about and believe in, but our neighbors are so incredibly excited about it. The restaurants, uh, the venues, having people that use the hotel as business, the business traveler during the week, but then the arts patrons have a place, a staycation, and people who come to visit the arts district from all over the world have an ability to stay and, as you say, look out the window and see the beautiful buildings and walk up and down morning, noon, and night. So we're extremely excited. In addition to the um, 183 rooms in the hotel, it will be, um, it has a huge commitment to art and there are approximately 50 contemporary pieces that have been specifically curated for the hotel. And then in addition to that, and Lily was instrumental uh, with the Hall team to pull together a juried photography competition. There were over a thousand entries and 91 chosen, but these photographs of everything in the Arts District from someone dancing at Booker T to someone reading a book um, you know, across from the DMA um, will be in the hallways, in the rooms at the hotel. So it truly is a tribute to the arts and to the district that we're in. That's fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk about the current development cycle right now. And Lily, I'd, I'd like to just give the background a little bit because the current development is impacted by some of the planning that went on in the 80s. Um, so Lily, could you talk a little bit about the original design, what's happening, and how do you get all these stakeholders to work together? <laughs> Sorry, surprise question. She didn't know that one. I didn't know that one. Um, actually, I'm very well trained at doing that because I worked with high school students for a million years. So I just took that knowledge to a different level here in the Arts District. But many of you um, may or may not know that in certainly the visionaries started in the late 70s looking at this area. And when they decided that this northeast corner was going to be the Dallas Arts District in 1983, uh, the PD was formed, and it was PD 145, which went from uh, basically where the DMA is now to uh, Rue Street on Flora. And that PD is over 35 years old, and in that time period, if you can imagine what this area looked like, and it doesn't look like it does now. So 35 years later, and actually about 33 years later, the Dallas Arts District Board decided that it was time to update the Sasaki plan. And if you know anything about uh, city um, uh, policies, what happened in 1983 is that the Sasaki plan was only meant to be guidelines. But those guidelines were embedded in the PD 145, which meant that city staff determined whether they were guidelines or whether they were policy. So what we have attempted to do is relook at what is the, known as the Sasaki plan, and it really updates the public realm. And I will say that all the stakeholders in the district have really worked together on this, and really intensively last year I, every developer in the Arts District worked with our infrastructure team to get what I think we all believe is the best plan for the Arts District in the spirit of the original Suzaki plan. And what we are smarter about is that we've written in to the ordinances, which is policy, thou shalt, 
and we've separated the plan, which is thou should, because the plan should be a living document that grows, that 35 years later, there's some room, elbow room. For instance, the trees. We know that the bald cypress, only one species of trees planted anywhere, is not good planting. And we work with the Texas Trees Foundation to really find six species of trees that perform at what our stakeholders and infrastructure team wanted them to perform with, with a caveat that if there's a better tree, they can actually get that approved as well. So when you when you walked in from either the parking garage or the valet, and I, I was silly and wore heels, um, and I ne never do that, those little pavers, if our plan passes, will go away because that, and for the ladies in the room, that is really, we looked at, and, and truly, honestly, I was on a scooter for my ankle for a long period of time. For anyone with a stroller, on a scooter, in a walker, trying to get through the Arts District has been a challenge. And I will thank our, our really, what I call the mothership, Downtown Dallas Inc for really stimulating this idea of a downtown 360 and an urban plan for a great city. And so Dallas Arts District uh, took heed and actually we've aligned everything that we've done with their help uh, with this new plan. And exciting as it is, because I'm a very impatient woman, uh, the, the board thought that we were gonna do this in a year, although I've worked with Dallas ISD, so I know that that wasn't gonna happen, but I didn't think three years later we were still going to be in this process. We did file at the end of October, so it's in the city's hand right now, and we're just waiting for feedback on that. That's great, that's great, thank you. Um, so I wanna talk a little bit about Clyde Warren Park. Uh, when we were rehearsing questions, everybody I said, I may have to leave out this question, but was like, no, no, don't leave out Clyde Warren Park. <laughs> so I'm just gonna open up to you, everyone wanna talk about uh, how Clyde Warren Park has, how meaningfully it's been, meaningful it's been for the development of the Arts District. Anybody wanna take on that one? Kim, Mr. Well, I think it's been a complete game changer. Um, Sarah alluded to that in terms of just bridging uptown and downtown and what that's done for Ross Avenue. Uh, if you look at the investment that is occur the private investment that's occurring along Ross Avenue, it's, it's not since the 80s have you had this much private investment. And I think the park was a catalyst for that to really bridge downtown and uptown. And if you look at everything from Amley to Fountain Place, Tremel Crow, on up to uh, our investment and um, what's planned, I mean, you've got $700 million that has either recently been completed or is currently underway. And there's many more million planned for the future, but uh, I think the park had a tremendous amount um, of, of that investment. Um, the other thing the park has done, I think, so incredibly well, is it's really helped the Arts District from an accessibility standpoint. Lily's a big believer, and the stakeholders in the Arts District are a big believer that everyone should have access to quality art, and have done so much programming uh, to really go to the people versus have everyone have to enter the buildings and I think the park has been huge with that programming 
you know, the 8,000 people that saw the simulcast of the opera in the park, you know, with their dogs. I mean, how cool is that? I could just picture the dogs listening and howling to the, to the opera. But, uh, I mean, that is just, talk about what bringing all those people here to downtown and to the arts district. And, you know, the park has been so hugely popular. Do you see that hawk? Oh my gosh, that's the biggest one I've seen. It's huge. Um, where was I? Biggest <laughs> bird I think I've ever seen. Um, anyway, the uh, the park has been so popular that there really has needed to be overflow. You know, they're looking at expansion of the park. Um, the arts district has taken on a lot of that overflow. And it's brought people into the arts district who may not have come to the arts district before. And I think the venues in the arts district and the organizations have really learned from the park how to program outside and how to bring people together in a way that um, is just great for our city. Uh, it's accessible and it's popular and it's just, it, it makes us feel like a real city. Um, I get to brag on the Arts District all the time, selling our property, and in a previous life, traveled all around the country doing business development. And really, in the Arts District, to me, it's the one place where Dallas feels like a grown-up city. You know, you have historical churches, you have arts venues, office, uh, a school, you know, residences, you have everything coming together in a true neighborhood like a real metropolitan city has. And, you know, you look out the window and you just think Dallas is now a true cosmopolitan city. And the Arts District, in my view, is the best example to show, show Dallas off uh, in that light. That's great. Any other thoughts on Clyde Warren Park? Sir? I'll add a little bit. Um, for Trammell Crow Center, um, I would say the, the park has had such a tremendous um, really impact on, on what we were able to do here with this renovation. Um, that coupled with the other new construction that's, that's happening and it's continuing to happen nearby. Um, so the park has given that bridge for people to come across the park. And if you look out the window from Trammell Crow Center any single day, you'll see people walking around, um, walking back and forth across the park. They may be going to meetings in another building or they're going to lunch somewhere nearby or commuting. I see, I see commuters by foot now and that's kind of crazy, but um, a lot of our tenants here walk, walk from their, their apartments or their condos two or three blocks away, so that's really exciting. Um, but that park um, bridging between Uptown and the Arts District has really allowed the Arts District to mature from a rental rate standpoint which um, is the, the, really the only reason that J.P. Morgan was able to invest such a significant amount into this building. They took into consideration the current um, and you know, past uh, new construction rental rates and that the pro forma was built on that. So we're, we're coming from $15 a square foot behind <coughs> uptown and we've made up 12 of that today. Oh, that's great, that is fabulous. Okay, so last question. So I have a little bit of time for questions from the audience. Um, Two-part question. What's missing from the Arts District and what do you see for the future? Lucy or Lily, do you? I, I mean, from a tenant's perspective, I think um, being able to walk to a restaurant where it, it's more of a, well, grab and go. I mean, we don't have um, a subway or a, anything that's sort of 1,500 square feet where you can walk in, grab something, and leave. At least on our end, that the tenants don't feel like that's sort of, you know, I think that that's one thing that's missing. Um, certainly if you walk five or 10 minutes, you can get there, but um, I think quick lunch options are, maybe from the tenant's perspective, what's lacking. 
Um, well, there are a couple of things I would say, and and coming from my background, I would say artists living and working in the district, and hopefully that is going to change with the newest construction going up, and that is Atelier Flora Lofts. We hope that that piece of Flora Lofts, which is affordable housing for artists, will help that. And then big retail. I would dream like an Apple store or something where people are in the district. You know, they go in because uh, um, artists like to be creative, and and I I want retail. I want people. I want it to be accessible. And if you all haven't ever seen um, just kids enjoying art in this district, it is really a sight to be seen. I want to add one more thing about how um, when when we experienced the um, police ambush in July and the service was at the Meyerson and really quite the most fitting uh, facility for that service, Clyde Warren Park did a simulcast and the number of people that were in the park to really pay their respects. So yes, it's a park, but it also turned into a place, a gathering place for many in this downtown area. So I think that all of us are just excited to be here and there are just a few things missing, that's all. <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, let me open up for questions. Uh, any questions from our audience? Anybody, anybody? While y'all are thinking, um, Lucy, tell us about the Bruce Street underpass. So, um, yeah, I, I'll second what everyone was saying on, on Clyde Warren. I think it really has been instrumental in changing the office market on, on our side of, of the city or our side of Woodall. We are at the other, or sort of the eastern end of the Arts District, and so the underpass, the Bruce Street underpass is sort of the, the easiest connection to uptown. Um, you know, if you're coming from our direction, certainly people walk over to Clyde Warren Park and cross over that direction if they're headed west. But if you're going to Zaza or Whole Foods or anything on our end, you use the Rooster underpass. And so um, we've set aside funds, the city has set aside funds to go ahead and do a lot of improvements under there. And it'll be the first one that the city has done. And so I think we're all really looking forward to seeing, you know, what does this look like? Did it work? Is this a new good prototype for the city or not? Um, so, uh, sort of a lot to look forward to, and it's going to be an experiment. That's great. That's great. Questions? What y'all think? Question. So, what about connecting to Deep Ellum? Is there some sort of bigger vision to get us across the highway? Taking the highway down. <laughs> that would be awesome. When you look out at the, if you go up and look out, and you could get a feel for that from here. Um, you can see what a, I mean, dynamic connection that would be. And you look over there and you think, that's the next uptown. I mean, what a huge future tax base for the city of Dallas. It's tricky talking about taking that freeway down. Um, it's expensive. You've got lots of different entities that have to come into agreement. Um, we know that's easy. Um, so it's, it's um, but it could be, that's a great question, Michelle, because it, it's a game changer also. I just had a meeting with the executive director of Deep Ellum, and we're just trying to envision ways to have, even if it's just um, pathways where perhaps art ex 
exists along the way to guide people from Deep Ellum to the Arts District or Arts District to Deep Ellum is, is a thought, but even that takes a while, <laughs> especially if we're talking about anything in the public realm. If it's on private property, we have a better chance of making that happen quicker, but if it's in the public realm, it, it usually takes quite a bit. If you haven't already, be sure to download our CSAY Now app. That's where within the freeway loop, you can report incidents like panhandling, sleeping in public, or even just a trash can that's overflowing. Again, the CSAY Now app that's available in the iTunes and Google Play Store. And get events at events.downtowndallas.com. We are constantly updating that. We're also constantly updating our website, downtowndallas.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Thomas, and we'll see you around downtown.